Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It can feel like, wow, I have never realized a host of things. If they don't happen to us, we're not going to be as familiar with them. In addition to, you know, the isms that are unfortunately still with us, the sort of persistent inequities where bias is fueling our decisions and unchecked. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey there, welcome to the show. I am pleased to be able to bring you our guest today. Uh, You may recognize her name. Jennifer Brown is the author of How to Be an Inclusive Leader, uh, and we're out in its second edition now. And uh, Brown, Jennifer is the uh, founder, president, and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting and the host of the Will to Change podcast, which you should check out, uh, which uncovers true stories of diversity and inclusion. Brown's workplace strategies have been employed by top Fortune 500 companies and nonprofits. And as a successful LGBT entrepreneur, Brown has been featured by media such as the New York Times, Bloomberg Businessweek, Forbes, Fortune, Inc., the Wall Street Journal, HuffPost, Live, CBS, Fox News, and now Leadership Without Losing Your Soul podcast. That's right. That's right. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. This is my favorite. I'm looking the most forward to this. Well, we get to, you know, that's the thing about podcasts. We get to have conversations a little bit Mm -hmm. differently than, you know, on maybe a televised news show. Um, So before we get into all of our conversations, can you just, so we can get to know you just a little bit, can you take us back to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? Hmm. Oh, I love that question. Well, let's see. I'd have to say it was um, probably, probably beginning to start my my company. I think that is a unique and difficult (laughs) proposition and transition. Even though I had been a leader technically of a team in a company setting, striking out on my own, you know, and, and, and taking on that responsibility for generating our revenue and then beginning to hire people and having my name on the door, which I have now for 20 years, I would say that was the, the biggest test and the biggest leap um, and, and yet the, 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 the most correct move I ever made, <laughs> uh, it turns out I would flourish, uh, and really thrive in that kind of environment. And as an independent voice, as somebody who, you know, doesn't have a boss except myself and gets to lead myself, if you will. Um, and I think, you know, for some of us that have the privilege to do that, it's, um, quite the, quite the right turn, but really an amazing one that's enabled many things for me. And you used an interesting word there as you started us on that journey, which was responsibility. Yeah. And that, that element of that journey for you. Oh boy. I mean, especially, you know, my field DEI, right. The E wasn't a part of it. The I was scarcely a part of it 20 years ago. We just talked about diversity, right. And it was just mm-hmm. representation, right. And numbers and counting. And, um, but the, the responsibility, I mean, because hire, starting to hire people and yet trying to make a buck in this field was really impossible back then. It's completely different than what it is now. Um, But still we get some of the same kind of apathy and pushback and skepticism and a lack of resources, and this doesn't matter. (laughs) And, you know, I won't say that that's over at all. So it's always been a challenge to run a business in this space, but I'm not sure I could work on any other space. Obviously, the passion for it. I am curious as you talk about that journey, and and I'm maybe this would be a good way to to get into the work and the book and so on. As a business owner, with obviously walking your talk has got to be important. I mean, I, I we're very aware of that for our business, right? We're about human centered leadership. So how we are interacting with our staff and and our clients and everything is so important? Are we eating our own dog food? Are we living our own message? And we don't always get it right. But I'm curious for you, as you have been on this 20 year journey, owning your own business, 
has that shifted any of your perspectives or did you uncover challenges that maybe you hadn't seen before? Talk to us about that journey. Oh my goodness. Yes. It's so, it's so painful to be shown uh, the deficits in your leadership when you run a company. It's all in your face, right? It's inescapable. Well, I had to hire a lot of people in the early years that knew how to do things that I didn't know how to do. Uh, process, operations, hiring, uh, financials, a lot of stuff. I mean, most of the stuff actually is not my domain expertise. I knew how to market and sell and present and deliver the work. As such, I had to really entrust a lot of people and and we all know how that goes um, sometimes. And, uh, you know, funny enough, I think the inclusion of myself, I know this is a weird way to answer this, but I felt I am not sure I believed in my own vision and was bringing my full heart um, and soul to it because I was so underwater with the imposter syndrome and like knowing that I didn't know what I was doing, but knew that I had a vision and it's something that I wanted to bring into the world. So, you know, funny enough, I felt sort of <laughs> excluded in my own environment, you know, as, as it grew and as I built it. And it's only recently as I've kind of found my voice and, and come to the front and begun to be more of a thought leader and, and write books and speak full time, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I feel the most seen mm. and uh, included in what I've built, but it was very difficult. I mean, I think we're programmed. Unfortunately, some of us are, are programmed to feel that imposter syndrome really strongly, even in your own enterprise. You know, we assume that entrepreneurs have it all figured out but we don't at all. And, and it sort of kicked up for me, a lot of the belonging piece of, uh, you know, am, are people going to find it out or is it going to be legitimate or can I trust people that I'm bringing in that I, that I sorely need? So uh, that, that was interesting. And then over the years, we've had a lot of diversity in my company of different kinds, of course, because of the work we do. So that's never really been an issue, but I, I think, look, we are like any organization. We have our own learning to do. We have identities on my team that are continuing to be revealed and disclosed uh, to us as we create more psychological safety amongst us. And we're all virtual. We've never been in the same place ever for years and years and years. But as we've created more safety, um, we've trusted each other with more truth. And um, that is just such a profound and sacred thing if you can create it. Um, but the work is, it's still hard. It's still hard to take those risks with each other and, and, and believe that your trajectory here at least will not only not be impacted adversely, but it's a positive, it's an ad, it's a, it makes us all smarter. It enables someone to find their voice here, perhaps in a different way than they might've been able to find it in other arenas. And so that is my goal for us is to feel this is a place at least where we can kind of, the tone can be set and the walk can be talked, the talk, talk can be walked. The talk We're can walk be walked. and talk it. <laughs> you know, and then to go out and serve our clients and bring those ideas, but knowing that at least on this team, and this is my goal, that people feel a strong sense of belonging and feeling seen and heard and, and that we really do um, practice this. And, um, but we're always learning, we're always learning. And there's always new sort of landmines, I think, to step on as a small company with, with few resources, whether that's, you know, making sure you're providing health insurance or mental health benefits or generous leave policies, unlimited vacation. Um, we, we began to do profit sharing, even though we're really small, like, um, so that we, we sort of have really like tasked ourselves to make this a, not only a kind workplace, but one that invests in people and mm -hmm. in, and rides the waves of life with them. And that is just so important as a leader. You have to do that. Otherwise you're just, you know, you're not going to be able to attract and retain the best folks. Well, I have so many questions just based <laughs> on what you, you've shared with us just there. And that's not even mentioning the book, which we'll get into as well. But I think one of them that comes up as you're sharing all of that is you said, ride all the waves of life. And so that is one way of being inclusive is I'm going to include the entirety of the life of the human being I am that's on my team and all of them. Uh, that are on my team and, and what that can mean, what that can look like in, in different ways. So that's one meaning of the word inclusive, but so you've written a book called how to be an inclusive leader. Let's start with that definition. Cause you just gave us one facet, but I know yeah. there are so many more. What does it mean when you say inclusive leader? What do you mean by that? 
Mm, so that's exactly what I was just talking about, but then going and teaching that to uh, mainly enterprise. So we mainly work with corporate and some large nonprofits uh, and some academia, but mainly corporate. Uh, and it, it really is the process of helping the individual leaders with that make up an organization. And, and often that is the managers and particularly executives who, uh, who are right now are kind of drowning in the, the chaos and the degree of change and the degree of different expectations and uh, not having the language and the skills to really meet this moment, let alone kind of lead us into the future. Um, and if we believe in the hierarchy, which is a whole other other podcast, I mean, it is what it is, right? We have organizations that are structured in this way. And, and therefore, those who are really, really important in important influential roles are the quote unquote, like least, I guess, diverse when it comes to ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender, disability, um, generation. And so we have this whole cohort that has a ton of power and the least knowledge, which is fascinating uh, when it comes to kind of cultural health and, and belonging in the workplace. We might have some native knowledge and we might be good leaders, certainly, but inclusive leadership asks leaders to step forward and lead more proactively and lean into the changes that um, the demographic changes we have in our workforce and also in our marketplace and customers and asks leaders to get comfortable being uncomfortable, begin to practice um, new language, new uh, having new conversations with people in the workplace that are very uncomfortable. And honestly, a lot of us in certain generations were told we're not appropriate conversations to have, you know, and so I think we're battling also against how we were raised, you know, as leaders. Um, and now I think everything is kind of the deck of cards has been thrown up in the air. And a lot of people are like, well, what do I, if I'm being asked to change, what do I replace this with? You know, how, what, what do I do differently? And, and many people are like, well, what do I lose? That's not really the right question. It's, it's an ad. It's a, it's an enhancement. It's a deepening. It's a broadening of our ability to connect and leadership is just connection. It's connection. It's empathy. It's seeing the person that is, um, that you value, I hope, and that you worked so hard to attract and hire and hopefully grow. So really at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. So, you know, inclusive leadership is that journey to evolve and the, the challenge of that, the emotional challenge of it, the ego managing the ego that says, you're great, you're great at this. And, you know, you've been successful at this and this has worked for you. And, and having the courage and the humility to look at that and say, there's so much I don't understand. And I'm an, I'm a learner again. And especially I would tell everybody listening to this, you are absolutely a learner again, if you're of a certain cohort, certain identity group, and you know that I'm not telling you something you don't know, but that learner, that curiosity, that humility, that at knowing the right questions, if not having the right answers, all of that will enable us to resonate cross-generationally and cross-identity because that's that's what support feels like and sounds like. I mean, if I had had inclusive leaders to work for for years, I, I don't know if I would have gone out on my own, <laughs> but I was definitely pretty unhappy. So, you know, we, we have a lot of work to do in the organizational context and to show up differently. And to do that work, you know, part of, uh, and, and you lay out a, a nice model for us to think about the stages of that work that, that yeah. leaders go through. And uh, so in the book, you, you've got the four stages you have, you know, we start with unaware, move to aware, then active, then, then advocacy. Um, I'm, and you just mentioned your own experience. And I think this is like the critical part of this is as you're getting into the unaware into awareness stage is to recognize the different stories that are out there and the things that are different than your own. And where was I going with that is the, you had your story that you said, if I had not experienced that, I don't know if I would have got it on my own. Hmm. And when I'm talking with our children, uh, you know, and the world that they're growing up in and the things that they're experiencing already so very different from a perspective of inclusion, depending on where you live and, and school district and all the rest. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it, but it's just fascinating. The pace of change, mm -hmm. the, the 
differences in in what people understand or don't understand today uh and I'm boiling the ocean a little bit here as I'm, as I'm talking, because all going back to what you said about being comfortable, being humble and staying in a learning mode. And so you've, you've got your own identities as somebody who uh, faced some real negative stuff earlier in your career. And in the book, you talk about how you've had to stay curious. You've had to stay in a learning mode. And so for all of it, and I'm speaking as a white male, obviously, so I'm definitely part of that. And I'm in the older generation now. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hate to say that, but it's coming <laughs> to be true. But um, I'm, I was just looking at one of those milestone birthdays. It's around the corner. Going, oh, that boy. Is, that is only 18 <laughs> oh. months away. Whoa, when did that happen? Who's counting? <laughs> and my and my daughter just turned this old. Oh, my goodness. Wow. What's happening? Wow. You know, but all so I, you know, I clearly I, I fall squarely in one of those those groups and the awareness of the stories that I'm not still even aware of. So let's start with the unawareness and, you know, that we've got our biases, we've got our own lived experience that we default because of the way our brains work to propagate that this is what it is for everybody until right, we realize right. it's not. Yeah. Where do we, where do we begin as we dive into this journey and recognizing our unawareness? Mm. Well, I've, I've started to continue to mine my story as you've alluded to. And these days I'm speaking a lot about privilege with a small P meaning to defang that word and de-weaponize it and really redefine it as something that is just simply true about actually all of us, all of us in different ways. Um, so, you know, that's what, where I've kind of, it's not uncomfortable, but I, it maybe was uncomfortable to speak it because I felt I would get judged if I were more open about the, all the ways that I was supported growing up financially and, you know, family, a family that told me I could be anything I wanted to be the, I had enough to eat, you know, so I, I sort of have been able to think about my, uh, my LGBT identity, which has been certainly challenging. And yet the way that I've been shielded from so many effects of that because of all the other descriptors of me, uh, and, and being able to hold all of that to be true. And I think each one of us has stories of exclusion and experiences of that, but also a lot of privileges that have, have sort of sped us along silently and, and perhaps enabled things to be easier. So I think when we come out of unaware that first phase, it's, it's noticing the system I'm in. Was it built to work for me? Mm -hmm. Was it built by people that look like me or identify as I do? Um, do I understand it without needing to have it be explained? Am I an automatic insider in it because of how I look or where I went to school? Um, there are, there are ways you can begin to notice where you fit and where you don't. And um, what people know about you and what they don't know about you, right? Because I think we have this deep sort of, we hold some of these more stigmatized invisible identities and may not bring those, right? Very often. Um, but so no, beginning to notice sort of where am I an insider? Where am I an outsider? And then where are others insiders and outsiders? I think that's where it gets really interesting. So you see yourself in the system, but then you begin to learn about, wow, so black and brown talent, just to look at organizations um, are underrepresented at, you know, as we go up the pipeline of organizational hierarchies, less and less represented until we end up with, you know, more, more C-suite executives named John, than we have like a female, you know, fortune 500 CEO. Like, so we, we, we see these gaps and they widen and widen and widen. And so we can begin to see, okay, so why is that happening? You know, what, what, what is happening in our system? that is perpetuating these things. And um, I think then gathering all that together and saying, then what do I want to do about it? You know, I think too, the awakening from unaware to aware is the, like my podcast is titled the will to change the will, like, where does the will come from? And that's so individual for each one of us. You know, I think it depends on you know, do we believe that we are still able to evolve at any age? Do we believe that we need to evolve? You just mentioned your kids. You know, I can't imagine every parent right now is feeling that, wow, that evolution is happening fast and, and I'm, I'm struggling to keep pace with it. 
And I know if you're a leader, you're seeing that change in your workforce, in your teams, you're having to probably establish trust with um, some constraints um, and forget even virtual and working in a hybrid way where we don't have a lot of information about people. And sometimes we never even met in person. So we're having to do this all in the, in the face of all these constraints. Um, and yet we get to reinvent, I think the way we relate to each other, we get to, we get to wake up and we get to notice and begin to stand outside of and be objective about and honest about how have I benefited? What's been comfortable for me? What hasn't been comfortable for other people? And how do I participate? What do I want to do about that? And, mm-hmm. and if fundamentally at that point you say, I don't want to do anything about it <laughs> because I don't care. It's not my problem. Um, there's not a problem. Um, it's people's fault if they're not represented or feel a sense of belonging in an organization. They just need to shut up and put up and shut up and put, you know, like we did put our blinders on and just go, go, go. Right. But fundamentally, I would say that's probably not a not a winning long term strategy because everything is changing around us. Everything, you know, and I think we 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 can choose to pivot with this. And by the way, this is not just to benefit other people, but I think that evolution benefits us. So it's a really wonderful invitation, I think. And uh, it will it be easy? No. Will it be comfortable? No. Will you know what to do and have all the, any of the answers really? No, for a while. And that's why inclusive leadership is also a muscle that you build and practice over time and you gain and strength and resilience and courage and voice, but you've got to apply yourself. I think on a regular basis to um, exposing yourself to new information, putting yourself as the only when you can, you know, developing that humility, I think um, that as a muscle, because that's what's going to endear people to you. Mm-hmm. In your work, are there particular areas where you see persisting unawareness? <laughs> um, and I, I'm not sure how to phrase that differently or better maybe, but the, the context I'm wondering is because of all the change and the awareness that is in the ether today in a way that I think it hasn't been in the last couple of decades at any rate, there are and like you were talking about with uh, with children, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, there was not a public discourse about kids acknowledging their own gender identity, for instance, mm-hmm. or, or things like that. Like, that's a fairly recent thing. And now it's, you know, politicized and it's in the news and there's all, all the things about it and all that. But that's just like one example. I and mean, we choose a whole bunch of different examples where you're seeing that persisting unawareness? Um, are there particular areas or particular places in the workplace that from a leadership perspective that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, there are so many. I mean, and and the overwhelm is real, I think, as we as we begin to learn and unpack, it can feel like, wow, I have never realized a host of things. If they don't happen to us, we're not going to be as familiar with them or at all, unless we happen to have a loved one or a team member where we're alongside them, you know, and, and we're like, have our eyes opened. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes. So in addition to, you know, the isms that are unfortunately still with us and, um, you know, rather than use some of those words, I just think that I would rather use the wording of the sort of persistent inequities, um, and where bias is fueling our decisions and unchecked. So that's true around race and ethnicity, obviously true around gender, you know, some companies are making progress, you know, good, uh, but it's, it's slow going uh, and, uh, and, uh, and sexual orientation diversity. I mean, there's very, Tim Cook is the one out, you know, CEO and what a C- he, CEO he is right of a, of a, of a world-class company, uh, but wasn't even out like four or five years ago, really. Um so that speaks to the stigma right there when his whole life is, has never been, he's never addressed it. <laughs> so we have a lot of hiding going on. Um, so I think that the persistent unawareness is, is listening to the voices that are beginning to find their voice and, and really learning from that and being steered by that. You know, what, what is the gap? What is the need? What is not being done or said, or where's the harm um, and taking responsibility to address that. But but other spots, I don't even say blind spots anymore because I, I'm trying to create more inclusive language, things that we are really unaware of, mental health. Mm. Every time I pull my audiences and I've probably given 200 keynotes over the last couple of years, vir- mostly virtual, 
but the mental health issue is, is completely not understood, really stigmatized and yeah. affecting everyone. Yeah. And worse over the last couple of years too. I mean, I don't know how bad it was before, but I, we just started pulling on it, um, last couple of years. So anyway, that's, we don't know a thing about that. Some of us may know, we know a lot about it, but we, we don't know organizationally as leaders, how to make sure we support people through chronic and episodic mental health challenges in themselves or in their families. You know, that is a big, wide open opportunity space. And then I'm um, like, you just said, gender identity and expression is also kind of one of those, um, frontier frontier dialogues I have. And I, as a cisgender woman, so just to explain a little education here, I'm a, I identify as female. That's my sense of my gender. And it's also the gender of the body I was born in. So there is an alignment there for me. And it means that there is no, there is no disconnect there that I have to solve for, or, um, danger that I might need to put myself in, in the world. Now, am I in danger in the world as, as a female, that's a whole other topic. Absolutely. You know, that, that, that identity is, is not necessarily a safe one. Um, but, but gender identity, we all have a gender identity. We all have a gender expression. So, uh, and we also all have a sexual orientation, which is different because that is who we, who we love, you know, who we are attracted to, who we want to build a life with. Um, so these things are really, this younger generation knows all these things and they use words, even for me, uh, that I should know, <laughs> but I, but I don't, I'm, I'm trying to play catch up too. And, you know, so anyway, I just don't want anyone to listening to feel, you know, that, that bewildered and, and feel that, you know, I'm a bad person because I'm bewildered, but what we can do is listen, learn, read, put ourselves, you know, consume information that's not by and for us, mm -hmm. right? Not within our frame of reference and also surround ourselves with as much difference as we possibly can. And I don't think this happens in life. You know, we live in homogeneous communities. We, you know, we, we find comfort in sameness and it's very human. It's very predictable. It's natural because it's the least, I guess, friction, right? But where there's friction and discomfort is where there's growth. And so as we pick up books or watch shows or fly on a wall in certain meetings or webinars, noticing just how unfamiliar it is and, and noticing how we feel about it. The feelings are also an important data point too. And sometimes the hardest to navigate, you know, compared to like cognitive understanding, it's sort of how it lands for us. And, and noticing that too, I think, I think is important. I feel defensive. I feel protective. I feel angry. I feel resentful and regretful. I feel guilty. Maybe I feel some shame. Mm. Um, you know, get that out, like look at it. And because I don't think we can change if we do the head work of here's what I need to do without kind of also paying attention to our evolution as feeling beings and noticing those things, which are all very, I think they play a role. They're important to us. Those feelings come up for a reason. The key is to notice them, but not get attached to them and not live in them necessarily all the time, but kind of put that into its, its proper place, which might be, have to do with old narratives. It might have to do with self-protection might have to do with ego. Uh, you know, I, I love exploring all that because that's actually gets into some pretty interesting stuff, but I don't think without thinking about that, we're going to really create sustainable change. So it's a piece of advice for leaders. It's what I hear you saying is it, on that journey, as you start developing that awareness and you're moving from unaware to aware, there are going to be feelings that happen, yeah. all sorts of feelings. All sorts. Uh, and <laughs> I mean, I, I still uh, remember, gosh, uh, I, I was reading a book about the history of um, the indigenous peoples in America and the way that all those interactions happened and the lies and betrayals and you know, and just all the mess and, and realizing that where I grew up and that there are streets and towns named after mass murderers, if I'm just calling it what it is. Right. Yeah. I, I this has been, I don't know how, two decades ago, I read that. I still, what I really process that my goodness, it's a lot to process. It's a lot to deal with. And, and so if you're not owning those emotions and acknowledging them, 
you're going to stay stuck is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. It's like, how are you, you can't move to the next stages if you're not processing and dealing with what, what you're feeling. Yeah. And the problem is that we we're getting it all at once. Like some of us have just, we're never exposed to anything in school about the whole history. So, you know, it's sort of like, you know, gorging yourself on a meal and, and feeling sick and not being able to digest it. Like it doesn't, you don't get the nutrition because we're just, we're sort of overwhelmed with it and, and, and we need to digest it quickly, but unfortunately, or fortunately, some of this stuff can't be digested quickly. It's, it's something you have to sit with and mm. your place in history is one of those really deep existential questions. <laughs> like, you know, that is not something that can be rushed. So I actually really love that it still sits with you and, and lingers that piece and that you still remember the, 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 the stress of learning that and sitting with that and trying to reckon with it and reconcile it somehow, which is not reconcilable. And, um, even just, I tell inclusive leaders that are on their journey, you know, share, share what, share what bothers you, share what's heavy on your heart, share this. This is, this is what I think builds that trust with people when we show ourselves and we show mm. that we are feeling humans like that. Mm. We, um, and it's not our fault that we didn't grow up knowing these things. We were too young to change that system, but what we can do now is make sure we're having a more fulsome conversation and we're accurate conversation, right? And we're owning the, the uncomfortable truths, the inconvenient truths, as they say, right? Um, of, of our country, you know, if we're speaking of Americans in particular, um, but, um, we, but we are up against the denial of all of that too, you know, on the, in the political realm and others. And um, there have been major forces that don't want this to be thought about and carried forward and acknowledged and reckoned with, but at least at the leader level, at the individual human level, we can be, we can hold space for this. Like we yeah. can do this and we need to do it because if we wait for institutions to do it, we're going to be waiting a long time. <laughs> so Absolutely. at the end of the day, it's up to us. Uh, we're talking with Jennifer Brown. The title of her book is How to Be an Inclusive Leader. And uh, Jennifer, I'm looking at the time and feel like, I, oh my goodness, we've just oh my scratched, goodness. <laughs> scratched the surface. I have you know, so many more places I'd like to take the conversation. One of those, I think, and I, I'm going to speak from my perspective as a white male here and acknowledge something that you just said about uh, there are people who don't want some of these changes and where, and, and the other piece you were saying is about, you know, owning and expressing some of your, your feelings on these things. And as I've had, as I have conversations with my friends who have a variety of different identities and we kind of get into this, this stuff, one of the things that, that I would share is, and I think I'm going to preface sharing this by saying that I think that you said something that's really important about where all of us enter into this together. Mm. But let me step back and share that there's a real sense of loss mm. for, I think for many in that cohort for whom the systems were built, if we're being real, they were built for the benefit of those people mm -hmm. of which I am one. I intersect mm -hmm. in those identities in many ways. And I get that. And the reality is that changing those systems means they are not going to serve me as well as they might once have done. Yeah. That's a truth. Mm -hmm. And for some people there, well, I think for anybody, if you're being honest, there's probably a sense of loss in that. Mm. Now that sense of loss should be balanced by there is a huge gain as well. <laughs> and this comes back to something you said earlier is that everyone's hiding mm. or many of us, maybe not, you didn't say everyone, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said mm. many of us, there are lots of people who are hiding. And when we're talking about building an inclusive workplace or being inclusive leaders, part of what I'm hearing you say is the benefit for all of us, even if you're not going to benefit from that system, the way that you might have in the past, the benefit for all of us is we don't have to hide. Right. To bring that full self. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Am I anywhere in the ballpark? Yeah. Oh, I love what you said. I, lo I love everything you just said. Um, a loss of a familiar, perhaps 
way of life. But I would say, has that system that's worked for us and been built by us been good to us? Has it been healthy? You know, we, we talk sometimes about the, what's called the man box and it's so compelling to realize and remember that this system has not necessarily been ideal for all diversities of straight white men either, Yep. you know, but that you, you and all of us then, but you had to conform and that painful experience of not being able to bring all of your heart and the soul of, you know, the, the title of this podcast, you know, the way express your gender in the way you want to, you know, be interested in the things you want to be interested in, you know, show emotions, um, lead from a authentic place, perhaps a vulnerability uh, uh, that was natural to you, but sort of like banished um, from you because you had to conform. It's a very narrow band that, that even men had to conform to. And, and so stepping outside of that to say, did this work for me? What compromise and sacrifice did I need to make to fit in? Who was that person that I was meant to be? What kind of leader would I have been if I didn't need to pattern myself on this? So it is kind of, it's a huge opportunity for the insider, quote unquote, to step outside and say, this isn't the system I would have built. It's not the system I would have wanted. It doesn't speak to, you know, my sense of equity. And um, so a loss, yes, I might frame it as a change. Um, I might frame it as an update. I might frame it as an upgrade. Um, And I also think that um, the transformation that's available to us through this process is something we can't even imagine. The liberation that everybody needs, everybody, I promise you, because that is extreme, that that man box is really specific and very confining and has been shown. I mean, they're incredible documentaries on the mask you live in is one of them um, all about boys and men. And I mean, uh, it's painful to watch. So I, that's why I'm so passionate. I think about, about men's work also, yeah. because it stretches my own biases around like who can change, like who, who's been experiencing the toxicity that we assume doesn't experience it. And you know, perhaps un- unbeknownst to that person even, because I think you don't begin to look at it critically until you decide to start looking at it. And then you decide, I'm going to be part of changing this, not just for the old version of me that had to conform and had no choice, but for that next generation and next that come after me, I want it to be different for them. And just like me, I want it to be different for LGBTQ people. I don't want it. To, I it was a closeted for years. I don't want it to be that way. And so but I think each one of us can decide to tackle this stuff, but you got to see it first. You have to see it. And then, and then you have to probably find your community too, so that you don't feel like you're the lone ranger in terms of, you know, challenging it because you're never alone. There are other people that are asking the same question. It's more that, you know, you may not know where to find them. You may not know where to connect in, but there are a lot, there are a lot of folks who are questioning everything and, and aligning yourself with, with those folks will become your new, a cohort and a community that you didn't probably didn't even know was there and that, you know, have, you have yet to discover. So how exciting is that? And then I just want to make one point. If, if the law, when I, when you were first talking about loss, um, loss of status came to mind, right? Loss of power. I think if we're being really honest, we have had access to that power. I, I think unfairly, like some of us have been extra supported because of the things that we haven't had to cope with, Mm -hmm. you know, the comments you haven't had to hear the bias that hasn't been happened in terms of your promotions and advancements and, you know, opportunities and networks that have been made available to you. And, um, just the tailwinds of, of being whoever you are. So I think that that it's an, it's a technically it's an unfair advantage. It's sort of like starting the race and having like, you know, 20 feet ahead. Um, So what all that really is happening now, as we interrogate this is we are, we are bringing this actually back into balance. So I don't see, is it a loss? It's an adjustment and, and it creates a more fair playing field from which we can all strive from a more equitable starting line. 
So I, 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 I sort of take issue. It's sort of the meritocracy thing. A lot of business leaders will be like, well, Jennifer, I'm, you know, I, I want to hire the best person for the job and it needs to be a meritocracy and whatever. And I'm like, but it hasn't been a meritocracy. People have hired their friends and the kids of their friends and the people who went to graduate from the same schools. And that has always been privileged always. So we can't use a fairness standard now that we've never used in the past, truthfully. So I I just don't think that it's just, it's just sort of a non-starter. I think we need to look at this as just a, a rebalancing of fairness. It's a, and look, if you're amazing and you're great at what you do, you will have just as much of a fighting chance. Just may have more competition, but that's life, right? That's the life. Well, it can be life if we create it. It can be. It, it can, can be. be. We're, we're slowly getting there. <laughs> slowly getting there. You uh, you mentioned early earlier in the show when you were talking about your own work, the, the you have a completely remote team. Nobody's in the same room. And you talked about a, a number of different aspects of your engagement with one another in terms of psychological safety and being able to bring in yourself and know one another. And, and you're doing all of that remotely. And, mm. you know, uh, and while remote isn't specifically the topic of this episode, I do think that talking about inclusion and psychological safety and leading that way from over <laughs> the internet is critical. Uh, yeah. and, and it's something that is a barrier for many, many people who aren't even thinking I, they're not maybe f- framing the conversation in terms of inclusiveness or DE and I at all. There's the, how do I lead and bring my team together and create some mm-hmm. culture and, and all those mm-hmm. sorts of things, but it all, obviously it all works together. So I'm curious, not necessarily for a, a primer about it, every step-by-step process, but are there principles that you have found in your leadership of your company um, in terms of being inclusive and, and creating that connection and, and culture that you're after that you might share with us. Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge. I mean, we, I don't think we were very good at this before and we certainly it's even harder now because we don't get the cues and the, the physical prompts and the casual conversations that we might have if we were physically co-located. So that's something that has changed and maybe forever changed you know, we may never go be able to go back to that. So if that's true, then we have to be, we have to focus on um, becoming more vigilant and observant and seeking of information about how somebody is doing, you know, speaking back to mental health, right. Or uh, need, need for flexibility or challenges with parenting or, you know, whatever's happening in our lives, like how, how do we know? And how do we create enough trust virtually that somebody feels they can get on their, our calendar or we can, we're just a text away to say like checking in, how are you doing? Like, you know, if I were a manager and a leader and leading this in this way, which I am, it's, it's, it's keeping a lifeline connected between me and each person separately and, and kind of letting them know, you know, if there's anything, you know, you want to, you want to speak about or give me feedback about um, but it is opening yourself up to this information and asking and asking and asking because we can't just wa- ask once. We need to be continually opening a door so that people trust that they can walk through it. I think we, most people we work with and ourselves included, have a lot of historical trauma relating to belonging in the workplace, um, particularly those of us who've been underrepresented and have been on the receiving end of lots of different kinds of biases. It's not easy to trust. Mm-hmm. So, in some cases, we are, are rebuilding something or we're building something that's never existed before for someone. Uh, So the inclusive leader is somebody who strives to open the door, often pursue deeper conversations, more personal conversations and with the goal of understanding, you know, what is getting in the way for you of, of being here on this team, you know, or being here in, in this job at this, at this organization, you know, what, what could we do to, enhance your sense of belonging in your experience of belonging here. Somebody may answer, you know, health insurance, somebody may answer flexibility. So, you know, somebody may say, actually, I'm really coping with something very difficult. I think I need to leave, you know, you never know. And, and, um, but, but we have to have the discipline to ask and to seek, um, and to check in and 
to take that information on board and then take it as a leader, take that back and say, so what should we institute across the board? Because this is what I'm hearing and learning from people. Do we need to make a, a system-wide change or add some benefit or communicate something more, more assertively? Um, and then I think commenting too and leaving space for people to just bring their full, fuller selves you know, because what's happening is the world is crashing in on all of us, you know, what's happening in the political sphere, what's happening um, in the news, um, you know, violence to certain communities. So the really, really talented leader knows how to create a container for a space for dialogue about what it feels like to be in this body and this identity in this world right now. And Many leaders don't love the idea of that because it feels very risky and sort of open-ended and we just don't know. I'm not sure we know how to cope with what comes through right, <laughs> um, right. a scenario like that, but remember the listening circles and the listening that happened in 2020 in the summer, you know, when companies said, oh my goodness, we, we didn't, we didn't know, or we didn't want to see. And now we see, and now we want to hear, we want to know, and we want to take action. That has to be a discipline that we, each of us Show, display in our sphere of influence. And then, and then if we all do that, that sort of accrues to, I think, organizational health and some of these organizations where there's, you know, all the leaders in the organization kind of believe in, you know, practice the same stuff, you know, are ha have those open dialogues with people and are feeding that information up to the appropriate folks so that we can, we can better the organization. We can make it more responsive to mental health. We can make, we can do manager training. We can, change our language. We can communicate better about our benefits. We can equip our managers to be in touch with people about what's available from a support perspective. Like, you know, all these things. Um, and this is hard virtually. We're all separated from each other and have to find different ways of getting the message through. Um, but anyway, start with that one-on-one, -on -one, that listening, those good questions, um, the invitation, the personalization, and uh, the question around belonging, I think, is a wonderful place to start and, you know, do it regularly so that people don't feel tokenized or singled out. You know, how are you feeling as a fill in the blank <laughs> in our, on our team? You know, it's not that um, it's because you never know how people identify. You might think you don't have a lot of diversity on your team, but you may only be aware of a certain limited numbers of diversity that you think you see. Right. But there's so much more to each individual that, that um, if you build enough trust, they will trust you with their truth. And then once you have that, you can lead much more effectively and hopefully keep them, grow them and uh, allow them to thrive. And one of the, the elements that keeps coming up for me as you're describing this process and you've, you've hinted at it and talked about it in different ways is it's patience. And it's, mm. it takes time uh, to build trust. It takes time to learn and what we are learning continually evolves and changes as well. And so all of this to have patience in the process with ourselves that being comfortable with discomfort that you mentioned early on and, and that approaching with, you know, consistent curiosity um, that really wants to know that that is all part of the process and, and inescapable. It's inextricably linked. It's not going to be comfortable because sometimes that stuff has to do with us. You know, when, when we ask for, we get feedback on our, our leadership. And where yeah. we're coming up short. And that's where we have to be super humble and manage our egos, you know, and say that feedback is a gift. You know, it's a gift. It's an opportunity to learn and grow and change. And look, we, we won't grow unless we are uncomfortable. And that discomfort sometimes is, is having to look in the mirror and say, you know, where am I coming up short? That is hard. Trust me. I, I'm such a perfectionist and perfectionist gets in the way of all of this for sure. Um, and that's part of our cultures. If you think about yeah. the dominant culture, it's very yeah. perfectionistic. Um, and it's very binary in terms of it's right or wrong or agree or disagree. And a lot of this stuff is, is ambiguous in the most beautiful way, you know, that it is in the eye of the beholder. Um, and it's in the perception of others, you know, the, the only leadership that really matters is the one that's received the one that's appreciated. It's not the one that we intended necessarily. It, it's all about the impact. So we are only effective if others say that we are. I, I like that my favorite quote about allyship because I aspire to be an ally, which is a verb, 
not a noun. It's not a, not a destination. It's a journey. And you're only an ally if someone in an affected community calls you an ally, you mm-hmm. know, it's something to be earned. And I think leadership is earned. It's earned and it's uh, estimated and defined by a shifting landscape. And so uh, I think that that's uh, it's hard to do, but it's so amazing to think about how we get to lead in these times that we get to somehow be a port in the storm, um, create the psychological safety, enable human performance and belonging. Um, imagine cracking the code on that. I mean, that's really, I think some pretty deep stuff. It is. And, and it's a beautiful world you describe and one that I hope, I know everybody listening to the show today, if you're tuned in today, I'm almost guaranteed it's a world that you're <laughs> you're interested in helping us build. So we're talking with Jennifer Brown. The name of her book is How to Be an Inclusive Leader. It's in its second edition. Jennifer, where can we connect with you, learn more about the book? Uh, Send us somewhere good. Oh yeah, you know it. So uh, I actually have four books now, believe it or not, going back to 2017. So visit my author page on Amazon. And the latest book is a second edition of the one I wrote in 2019. So we updated it with a lot of new juicy content, very, very contextualized to our times. Um, Podcast is the will to change. And then Jennifer Brown Consulting is where um, our consulting work lives on uh, DEI strategy and training and education, which I have a wonderful team that I didn't get to talk to about too much today, but it was on my mind as we were talking about inclusive leadership. And then Jennifer Brown Speaks is kind of my, my site for books and speaking and, you know, videos, et cetera. And you can take the inclusive leader assessment, which comes along with the book, which is a 10 minute quick way of getting a snapshot of where am I? What are my next steps? What should I be reading or listening to? And then I'm in all the socials. So at Jennifer Brown on Twitter, at Jennifer Brown speaks on Instagram and on LinkedIn and Facebook. I think we're Jennifer Brown consulting, but you'll definitely, you'll definitely find me. I am a busy bee. <laughs> yes, you are. And we're glad that you were able to take some time out of your busy beingness to, to share some of your wisdom and, and experience here on the show. So Jennifer, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom and uh, to helping our listeners be able to build a more inclusive workplace and ultimately world. Mm, It's an honor. Thank you. All right. Well, there you go. You've got several different activities, different questions you can ask, different assessments you can take to start your own journey and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.